Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Sonia, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care program, Taking Your Treatment on Schedule, Its Importance in Managing Cancer. And today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, and it really is because of that collaboration that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. And um, so we have on the call today over 250 participants, and you come from all over the United States, from both rural, urban, suburban, and frontier communities, so really all over the United States. And we also have international participants from Canada, the Netherlands, New Zealand, and United Kingdom, so it's a bit of a global call as well. This is an important topic, and we're delighted that you've all chosen to spend this next hour with us. Today's program is supported by Pharmacyclics LLC, an AbbVie company, and Janssen Biotech, Inc., and administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC. And I really want to thank them for their support. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Michael Wong. And Dr. Wong is Professor of Medicine, Cutaneous Cancers, Medical Oncology, Executive Director, Integration and Program Development, Cancer Network, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Dr. Wong is going to start off by presenting an overview of cancer treatments, definition of adherence or taking your treatment on schedule, its important role in managing your cancer, barriers to taking your treatment, and communicating with your healthcare team about assistance and adherence, assistance with adherence. It's now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Wong. Thank you, Dr. Mesner, and it's a privilege and pleasure to be able to be with you today, and I acknowledge folks coming from everywhere. I hope you find this useful. I have a personal story uh, uh, to start uh, the ball rolling on this. Uh, when my father was ill, and it was a chronic illness, not cancer, and uh, I'm an oncologist, so, uh, so, and, and so in my family, we have a, a physician, a nurse, and two pharmacists, and uh, you would think that uh, that we would be able to uh, you know, sort of uh, get her act together and <laughs> you know, have my father be totally 100% compliant with his medications. And, and guess what? You know, I'm uh, embarrassed to say on an open line that, that uh, we, got it, we got it most of the time right. And there are lots of reasons for that, and I want to share some of these with you. Today, you know, the use of oral medications is growing, especially in oncology care. And the reason for that is because we have come to an appreciation that um, uh, that uh, that uh, uh, that uh, this is a route that uh, allows flexibility in uh, uh, in how patients take their medications. But the, the problem with that is one that I maybe it's not a problem, but but the angst of an oncologist is that when you come to my uh, oncology center and you get an infusion, I know exactly how much you got, when you got it, how you got it, uh, and any side effects may have happened as you got it. Right? It's all documented. I can flip through a chart. We all have computer systems. We scan your armband. I know within a second. And there's a little bit of 
of control uh, that we give up to our patients, and rightly so, uh, I believe, uh, when we use oral medication. So another reason why I'm a big fan of this program, because this is a, an attempt to be collaborative about this, to let you know why I fuss about this and the things you should know about it. Cancer care has undergone a revolution. <clears throat> Part of that is because of the fact that we have now dissected uh, oncology down into the level of the DNA and protein of the cancer cells. We now know, and forgive me for the next 30 seconds of doing a little bit of science, we now know that there are mutations and proteins inside cancers that, that drive the cancer, that, that make something that is benign become malignant. We call those driver mutations. And one of the uh, most incredible things about the uh, biotechnology industry and also about basic science in this country especially is that we have, we have by basic science research, discovered how to uh, turn these uh, these driver uh, genes on and off. We call many of these driver genes oncogenes, things that genes that make the cancer become cancerous. Uh, sorry, makes the benign cells become cancerous. Many of these inhibitors, as we call, uh, as we call them, are in pill forms, and this is why it's very important because uh, these medicines now directly impact how cancer is being treated and directly impact. Uh, the, the results that we get from this. Uh, many of these uh, medicines have been uh, uh, absolutely extraordinary. And, uh, and I, I guess the, the beginning of the revolution began many years ago, but really with things like uh, uh, Gleevec or Matnib was one of the first that was designed to target a specific DNA change inside a type of leukemia. That was sort of the door that opened that said, wow, we could really do this. And from that has spawned an entire industry. And I would say that <clears throat> in almost every single type of cancer you can think of, there are uh, um, at least one, if not multiple, strategies that involve using medicines and pills. So you can see why this has become important. Now, uh, another uh, thing that's very important is that, is that as we are uh, using these medications, the dose and schedule which you use uh, for this becomes increasingly important. Why is that? Because there's a tremendous amount of work that went into developing um, the dose and the schedule. And these, ha these are big words uh, that come into play, things like pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics, uh, um, uh, stability in blood, plasma levels. What do those words mean? Those words mean that we have measured when we were developing these medicines, uh, the timing of when you take the pills, when it reaches maximum in the blood, how long it stays in the blood, what organ is responsible for getting rid of it. And so that, uh, that information is then crunched down, and what comes out the other end is a dose and schedule, X number of pills, how many times a day or how many hours apart. And because of that, uh, how you do it and when you do it is important. Now, uh, there are some medicines that are incredibly detailed and have to be uh, taken almost on a stopwatch, and I'm not going to go through a list of them because um, almost every specialty has some which are like that. And you know what they are, and and they're not just medicines and medicine uh, med medicines in oncology, but even medicines sometimes in infectious diseases. And perhaps the first time this was really real realized as being important is when uh, we were using medicines to, to treat HIV for the first time, and we found out that timing was important. Um, there are medicines like that in oncology. But for the most part, um, um, most medicines are given uh, as a, instructions like X number of pills over 
how many hours, how many times a day. And the thing that is important is consistency. And that's what I tell my patients. Uh, why? Because it is consistency results in a set amount of uh, medicine that gets into your body, and then how it impacts your, your treatment or your cancer can then be uh, can then be worked out. So I tell my patients, you know, none of us are perfect, but what I'm really asking for is consistency. Because at the end of the day, uh, whether we have a side effect that we have to deal with, or we are looking at trying to enhance the uh, sort of the results we're getting. Uh, or we're not getting results that we want, at, at some point your doctor is going to say to you, well, how, how many pills are you taking and how are you taking them? I should tell you that when I was treating some, some of the cancers that, require, that are really uh, uh, treated with medicines and pills, um, one of the first things I do when a patient comes in and we're not getting what we want is I call the pharmacy. I say, how many refills has this person had and so on and so forth. And so uh, uh, it's important to know what it, what, what it is that's, uh, actually happening. So again, we're not perfect people, but consistency is the issue. For example, in my own family, uh, you know, because of scheduling issues and and uh, and uh, people's desires to to do certain things at certain times of the day, we we always tend to miss one particular morning dose on the weekend. You know, it's like, oh, how would we do that? Well, you know, this you know, dad wants to do this, so therefore, you know, so there are th- consistent things that happen in everyone's lives, and to know what they are and to report back to them. Super important. So I want to say a little bit about uh, barriers to uh, to getting there. We as physicians um, uh, have a certain responsibility as well. And what I tell my team is, if you're prescribing a medicine that has to be taken four times a day and, and with an intricate schedule, that's a very hard thing to do. Uh, is there a long-acting form of this? Can we consolidate uh, medicines uh, you know that we take multiple times a day into one pill in the morning that's a long acting right it's a bit easier so there is a onus on us as healthcare providers to be sensitive to that but uh, but I also want to empower uh, patients on the other end of that who say listen doc you know I have you know other medic- I have these you know blood pressure medications I have my diabetes medication and you're adding this and how can we consolidate that so that's an important thing all right to to work with your health care provider about these things. Um, the other issues that we sometimes worry about um, are uh, uh, things having to do with, you know, um, how medicines are are delivered to you. And in this current medical economics, you know, uh, who is actually supplying that medicine is sometimes not clear. You know, is it your insurance? Is it the academic center? Academic center? Is it the um, uh, the specialty pharmacy. So uh, sometimes, you know, uh, to be empowered to just pick the phone up, call the insurance, and say, you know, you know, where's my stuff? Where's it coming from? Uh, why am I saying that? Because sometimes it's not altogether clear to me, uh, you know, who's doing what uh, at any one given time. So be empowered to chase things down and to maybe ask your healthcare provider who's writing prescription what the expectations are. So uh, as you can see, one of the the things that's very important is uh, is to have a clear communication with your uh, healthcare uh, team. Um, it has to do with being sure what the pills are. What exactly are you set, are you asking me to do? What exactly is the dose and schedule? It, when in doubt, make the call. Right? Do not ever be shy about that because, after all, it's uh, you know uh, how well you do. And how you adhere to uh, your dose and schedule 
helps not just you, but helps your healthcare team uh, assess things and help you with any side effects. And that's another issue as well. So um, uh, we tend to uh, give our patients a little bit of information overload. We'll say, uh, you know, we'll say we're starting you on this medication. Here comes um, uh, uh, the prescription, and here is the drug information thing. And I got to tell you, it's it's uh, usually in small print and multiple pages. And I think an important thing is to be clear. And 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 what I try to tell my patients are, yes, you got a two-page thing on side effects, but what are the common things I need to worry about? How will, how will this impact my life? And so you want to be empowered to ask the questions about that. So a clear line of communication, super important. The last thing is, is uh, along the communication line, is that when you are in my office getting an IV infusion, an intravenous infusion, you're surrounded by hospital and office people, uh, staff. So we're all over you. You, know, you can ask questions. You, you, if you have a side effect, we deal with it right away. And I think one of the difficult parts is that if you're taking medicines and you're at home, your side effects happen at home, right? You're not in our system. And, and so how do you deal with that? Well, I think, you know, one of the critical questions you have to ask is, you know, doctor, what are the side effects you anticipate I might have taking this? What are, and if I do, what is the, how, how should I handle it? You know, is there a number I should call uh, or is this, serious to the point where I just need to go immediately to the emergency department, right, or anything in between those two things. Very important. Along the communication lines is one other thing I want to talk about in the remaining two or three minutes is other medicines are taken. I alluded to that a bit with the hypertension medications, but there are things that are maybe very important for um, how to impact your cancer care. An example, for instance, is some of the medications I prescribe in my line of work require that the patient does not does not take uh, anything that reduces the acid in your stomach. So what we call these drugs H2 blockers, proton prime inhibitors. These are sometimes over-the-counter. So uh, uh, divulging what these things might be and making sure that, uh, that, that, that your healthcare team knows about it. Now we have medical charting systems and, and uh, computer systems that, uh, for medical charts that helps us keep track of it. But we have to know about it in the first place. So that's an example of of a situation where um, um, you know just knowing what the other medications that you're on is helpful. And the, the last thing I want to talk about in the next one or two minutes is is uh, relates to my own personal story as well. You know, we all want to help our loved ones, and sometimes we get them pill boxes according to the days of the week, and so on and so forth. And one of the things you have to realize that sometimes one of the reasons why some of the medicines are difficult to open is because they may be sensitive to light, sensitive to moisture. So they blister packet and something that, my God, you need like, you know, maybe a, a Swiss Army knife with five different tools to get the pill out of that little blister pack. But there's a reason for that. And so, you know, know knowing that you might want to help someone, but at the other hand, you know, arraying your pills out for a week at end may actually result in, in, in that medicine being less effective because of expo exposure to the environment. Temperature is important, too. I'm in Houston, so you know we have hot, hot summers. Uh, and a clue to your medicine is if they're delivered in an ice box, that's a clear signal. This is not a medicine that will do well in your glove box of the car, for instance. Many of these are marked very clearly, and uh, you should pay attention to that. Uh, uh, if you travel with these things, uh, you can certainly have an ice pack that goes with them, and I ask people 
uh, that if you're going to travel, that we can give them a little letter that says, you know, uh, that, that will, you know, divulge uh, the fact that you are using medications and they have to be refrigerated. I'm at the end of my time and happy to, uh, to answer any questions. And once again, oh. look forward to hearing from my colleagues and learn from them. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Wong. That was really wonderful and really covered a lot of just setting the stage for the whole program today. And I think, um, and it also helped that you um, shared some experiences that are real that people that were the hum, the humanity of, of of grappling with taking one's um, pills on schedule and how important that is. But nevertheless, that we that there are um, personal issues that people have in doing this. So thank you. And our next speaker um, is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuing Cancer Centers of New York, and author researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman is going to address clinical trial adherence, practical tips to overcome these barriers, including travel, cost, family, partners, caregivers, and others, planning ahead, lead time in arranging appointments, refilling prescriptions, particularly weekends, travel, and holidays, reminders from your medical team, pharmacy and pharmacist, and technology reminders, phone, email, text, apps, and uh, you do not have to remember all this alone. It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Yes, hello everybody, and thank you for participating in today's call. Um, I am trying not to uh, avoid getting um, very de definite questions for things, but you may find that a lot of the answers are it depends, and I will try to define that as much as I can. Clinical trials are um, the mainstay of the discovery of new treatments um, in oncology as well as in many other fields, but probably oncology leads the way in its history in making sure that a treatment is rigorously tested, not just for the Food and Drug Administration approval, but for patients' benefit, and that we uh, test for um, how safe the medicine is, how effective it is, and then test it uh, against the most um, widely accepted effective treatment to, to see that it's equal or better to what is available to patients um, through their through their oncology um, oncology professionals and cancer centers. Um, being on a clinical trial has a lot of advantages and some disadvantages, but mostly advantages. Um, when you're on a clinical trial, uh, there's a lot of paperwork to go through at the beginning. That may be considered a disadvantage, but it could be an advantage because you get a lot more information about a treatment than you may get otherwise. Um, it is um, You wind up meeting many, many people that you would not meet if you were getting standard of care in an office when you're on a clinical trial. And often that is um, a... Um, a research assistant, somebody who works um, with the doctor and the nurse and the cancer center or facility that sponsors the trial, but is there to make sure that you have all of the right information so that you can participate in uh, the best way possible. And one of those important parameters is uh, following the plan that's laid out in the trial and taking things on time and, and in the way that they are um, designed to be used because they need to be tested in a very specific way. 
So um, there are a lot of details that come along with this, and I will try to go through as many of these as possible in the few minutes that I have. Um, it is uh, often possible, and more and more these days, more often than ever before, possible to get the trial at your own um, cancer center close to home. It uh, is, is likely the same trial that is all over the country uh, because it is, has been recognized that patients find it uh, burdensome and sometimes impossible to travel to large centers in other cities where there's no support system, no transportation, and no place to stay, and it becomes extraordinarily cumbersome and expensive. So many trials are available through um, a variety of mechanisms some sponsored by the National Cancer Institute, some sponsored by the pharmaceutical organizations that sponsor the trials um, in the community. And your cancer center and your oncologist, your oncology nurse will know um, what's available and will choose a trial for you if it's in your best interest. Uh, the travel to another city can get very expensive. It is uh, pretty much well accepted that um, going through um, cancer treatment is hard to do alone, and having a relative or trusted friend with you is very important, both uh, to take notes, to keep track of things, but also because, so that the experience itself is not so isolating. But that then involves uh, more expense sometimes with uh, being in another city, losing time from work, um, not being able to take care of the usual things that they do for their family. So uh, travel um, can be an issue. Cost can be an issue because not all costs for the travel would be covered by the, 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 the study itself. This is where things get really complicated because some expenses, especially for um, the medications that are being tested or the device being tested or the type of radiation that's being used or the type of surgical approach that's being used are covered by the, the clinical trial or by the study. But there are some other expenses that often aren't, and it's good when um, you're asked to enroll in a clinical trial and you're getting information from the research assistant to be able to find out exactly what is or isn't covered. Um, that's really, really important. Um, and uh, caregivers often can um, take a good role in this by having a big pad and taking a lot of notes. You'll be given a lot of written information and having a second pair of eyeballs read this information with you and perhaps um, interpret it in a different way or um, make more questions that need to be asked of the treatment team and the research assistant can be very, very, very helpful. Can't underscore that enough. When it comes time to planning appointments, um, if a trial is complicated, um, appointments are, are often on a, a defined day, um, 21 days into the, into the start of the study, 42 days into the study. Um, and people are often given a calendar on paper. Yes, we still use paper sometimes, as archaic as that sounds. Um, so many of us work on um, electronic calendars on our phones, on our, on our laptops, on our, um, um, on our tablets, uh, and then you need to transfer all of that over to your phone or your electronic device, and sometimes there will be help from the study coordinator or the research assistant to do that. So appointments are often made in advance. They need to be kept as close to the original schedule as possible. And having a direct number to 
um, to contact a research associate or a research assistant is really, really important because things happen. Snowstorms happen, floods happen, earthquakes happen, um, and you need to have contact with someone who will be able to uh, confirm and then change that appointment if necessary. When it comes to prescriptions, here's get extraordinarily complicated, as Dr. Wang alluded to before. Um, the drugs that, are, if there's a drug that's being tested from a study, that will be supplied to you. It needs to be supplied to you. Almost all the time that's given to you in person uh, by a pharmacist who is specially trained in handling um, drugs that are in clinical trials, and it may seem quite formal. The bottle may look different than you get from your local pharmacy. There are different types of labeling that need to be due to meet federal study standards. Um, but all of your medications that you take for other reasons probably won't be given by, um, uh, by that pharmacist involved in the study. You may be able to get those at your cancer center through their pharmacy. You may not. They may have to go to an outside pharmacy. And as we all know, that's gotten really, really complicated because we, if we do have insurance, we're not able to go to every pharmacy sometimes and get the lowest price, or the pharmacy doesn't have it in stock and has to order it in advance, or the pharmacy asks you to use their mail order um, branch, which specializes in specialty drugs like many of the drugs used to treat cancer are. Um, there are intermediaries called PBMs, uh, pharmacy benefits managers. Um, they will know that you're on a study and they will try to parse out what is covered by the sponsor of the study and what isn't. Um, there are also different tiers of drugs, tier one, tier two, tier three, and tier four, tier one being the most common, um, often generic drugs, and tier four being ex more expensive brand name drugs. Sometimes that can only come from a certain source. Um, it gets really, really, um, really complicated, and often the research assistant will be, be the first stop, and then uh, some, calling somebody at your uh, drug plan will be the second stop in order to make sure that this gets all sorted out. But it really depends upon exactly what's covered by the study and what's not. Um, there are sometimes things that may or may not be covered. So Dr. Wang brought up one of the things that happens periodically. Um, a study drug has to be kept cool. There is a little um, cooling envelopes or um, little freezer packs that can be that can be used. Hopefully that will be covered by the, the sponsor of the study, but sometimes not, and it means relying on um, the people who are running the study to know where to pick things up. Um, in, in your neighborhood um, or get it in the mail. Um, having a system to really time things out, be it an alarm in your electronic device that keeps your calendar or looking at an old-fashioned calendar like we would do before we had all these devices is really important to be able to make sure things aren't missed. There are some studies that will actually give out a um, medication in a bottle that has a little computer chip in the top, which will set up an alarm or will record if you actually open the bottle at certain times to make sure that you're taking your medications at the right time and that will be able to be tracked afterwards. Um, but just having a system that both meets the needs of the study and meets the need for you and your caregivers 
is really important. Sometimes it's paper, sometimes it's electronic, sometimes both. Um, and having the number, I cannot stress enough, <laughs> of having, having a number of someone to call um, who's, uh, and a research assistant who's running the study so you have access to someone who either knows the answer or will help you find it out. So I've tried to cover some of the basics of the, um, of the drug or device management in, in and of itself. As far as the other things that uh, Dr. Mester has mentioned, um, if travel is necessary to a, another city in order to be involved in the study, um, ask for help with that. Certain costs may be covered by the study itself. Um, find out from the cancer center who is uh, sponsoring the study if there are discounted rates at a, a hotel close by for patients, especially for patients who are enrolled in certain studies. Um, find out if there's any help with um, airline ticket charges or even um, train tickets or help to defray the cost of driving somewhere. Um, that's a, all questions to ask up front. Um, sometimes if they're not covered and you need to know that to know if this is going to be practical for you and some people will use their airline miles or some people will rely on the loyalty programs at hotels to get a less expensive way to stay in another city in order to enroll in the study. But start with the facility, the cancer center, and the research assistant and go through all of these details. That's what they're there to do in addition to making sure that you understand what's in all the consent forms and help you um, uh, get all those signed and arrange all of the testing that is required to enroll in the study. Sometimes it's all been done as part of the regular standard of care with your oncologist. Sometimes there are special tests to do. So the, the family travel issue um, can be uh, daunting, um, oftentimes is anticipated by the study. The scheduling also can be daunting and m mostly anticipated by the study and the medication issue um, also can be quite overwhelming, but there are people to ask and um, there are things to do to make it easier so that you can take the treatments on time and when you're supposed to. And as Dr. Wong also said, making sure not to mix certain over-the-counter medicines with some of the medicines you're taking for the cancer because it's just a bad combination. And that includes supplements and things that especially that don't have prescriptions. So um, studies are have a little more direction sometimes, but can be a little more complicated. And just ask who uh, is your basic contact with the study because the first answer you will get is it depends, and you need to go further than that. I'll stop here and turn this back over to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really excellent and really lots of amazing information in terms of helping people who are enrolled in a clinical trial or who are thinking of being what the what some of the benefits are being in a trial in terms of these extra health steps along the way. Thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Marley Keel, and Ms. Keel is an oncology social worker, master's level trained at Cancer Care, and um, she is going to be, and she actually works um, a great deal with our young adult population, as well as other, all populations, particularly with our young adults. And um, Ms. Keel is going to be addressing Cancer Care's free psychosocial services and programs and the role of support groups. Thank you and so I, much. Pleasure. Thank you. 
sorry. And it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Keel. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner. As Dr. Messner mentioned, I'm an oncology social worker at Cancer Care. As an oncology social worker, I provide support services to individuals and their loved ones who are impacted by a cancer diagnosis. I also stay abreast of the changing trends and new knowledge in the field in order to provide the best possible care to those who use our services. We've been talking today about managing your care, and I'd like to speak a little bit about the importance of creating a support network as a part of that care and how cancer care can be a part of your network. Cancer Care is the leading national organization dedicated to providing free professional support services, including counseling, support groups, educational workshops, publications, and financial assistance to anyone affected by cancer. All of our services are provided by oncology social workers and world-leading cancer experts. At Cancer Care, our licensed oncology social workers are trained in how a cancer diagnosis can impact an individual and their loved ones and support. A cancer diagnosis comes with many challenges, including financial demands, physical changes, social adjustment, and psychological impact in care. Our social workers are knowledgeable and can address the full scope of these issues that cancer patients and their, and their supports may face. Our short-term, short-term cancer-focused individual counseling and support groups are available to those diagnosed with cancer, as well as their loved ones or caregivers to address these concerns. They are offered in person at our New York City and New Jersey offices and over the phone and online nationally. Working one-on-one with oncology social workers and individual counseling can offer a space that's just yours to express your concerns. It also provides a space to help navigate difficult decision-making or communication with loved ones or your medical team, among other challenges that may arise. Your social worker can work with you to address your concerns in a way that's tailored to your individual needs. Joining a support group offers the opportunity to speak with others who may be experiencing similar issues and navigating similar challenges. Additionally, it is also a space to both gather and provide support and obtain valuable information. A cancer diagnosis can be extremely overwhelming. Having support and guidance, as well as establishing a support network of trusted people, can help to relieve feelings of anxiety that might come up. Having this support can also reduce feelings of loneliness and can help to increase feelings of hope and empowerment. In addition to our short-term cancer-focused support services, we also provide additional services including educational workshops, reading materials, as well as limited financial support. If you're interested in learning about more of our services, I encourage you to call Cancer Care's National Hopeline at 1-800-813-4673 to speak to one of our oncology social workers. There you can discuss what led you to cancer care and explore with one of our social workers the ways in which we can offer you support. Our social workers can also provide resources to access clinical trials, financial assistance, and potential supports local to you. We look forward to hearing from you, and thank you for your attention and the opportunity to be a part of this program today. I will now turn our program back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Keel. That was really outstanding, and thank you so much, and really for really identifying all the services that people can access from Cancer Care. 
And now we do have time for questions, and I'm going to um, ask uh, Sonia to come back on, bring all of our speakers on board, and to explain to everybody how to queue up for questions. And we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. And if we don't get your question, I'll explain to you at the very end um, actually how to get your questions answered if you didn't ask a question or if you even have another question that you want to ask. So, so here's the time to really ask away. Um, so, uh, Sonia? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star than one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Again, ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star then one. And so we have a question from one of our online participants. Um, so this is a question that actually does come up a lot in our programs. And um, I'm going to ask Dr. Wong if you could start with this. What advice do you have about taking medication on schedule while traveling, especially through different time zones? Right. So, um, of course, Dr. We have underlined, not just Dr. Fleischman, but folks that are very, very experienced in the clinical trial arena. This happens a lot. I tell folks it depends how long you're gone for. So we, why, do you, why does it matter, I tell people? Well, it matters because you have a circadian rhythm in your body. And if you're only gone for a short period of time and it's not you know, going to impact you in a major way, and usually that's about you know, 48 hours, and sometimes we do business trips in and out, and you're somewhere for like 36 hours, 48 hours, I would just stay on your home schedule. It depends what it is. If you're flying overseas, obviously, that's one thing where everything's flipped over. But even then, I do have friends that are in a, who do crazy business flying, and I, I admire you folks who will fly to the, literally the other side of the world, take one meeting, get back on the plane, and come back. So it, you just stay on your circadian rhythm. So that's what it really comes down to. If you're going someplace where you have to convert to, you know, uh, to the other place, uh, uh, the other destinations, uh, time zone, eating habits, sleeping patterns, then your body converts as well. And when you do that, that's a time to get back on uh, a schedule which is akin to where you are uh, at that time. So switch over if you need to switch over uh, from your sleeping pattern, eating pattern, and everything else, because that's what your body cues on. And just to summarize, short, um, you know, business-like trips, uh, if like my friends do sometimes to go and come back quickly. You're not even there long enough to to, to have breakfast or dinner. Uh, or and my rule of thumb, because I come from a restaurant family, if you have all three meals in the other place, then you'll probably need to convert over. That's kind of my rule of thumb. But if you don't have to convert over and your circadian rhythm, your natural circadian rhythm is still keyed into where you live, then no need to change. That's sort of my rule of thumb. And my colleagues on the line might have a, a, a opinions as well. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Wong. And, and does anyone want to add to that? Dr. Fleischman, Ms. Keel? Any? Yes, sir. I'm one of those people that takes those trips. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> sometimes you wind up being a few hours off uh, with all best intentions. But if you can keep it to a, just a few hours, that's probably the best thing. Uh, one thing I did want to say is if you are one of those people that travels, uh, make sure that the study drug is in its original container. Um, in general, when you pass through security checks with TSA, 
you have um, any sort of medical equipment. Um, I, I, I believe that and these rules change constantly, but I believe that is outside of the one quart of liquids that you're allowed to take through as long as things are, are fully labeled um, and you show what it is. I, 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 I believe that that's the best way to uh, go about these things. Try not to take things out of the original containers and put them in Ziploc bags or combine pills and bottles um, to save room to stick with that one quart Ziploc bag rule or else um, those could be taken away from you. So just be careful. About Dr. Mesner, Dr. Wong here. Can I jump in for yes. two sure. Another common question, which is along the same lines as and Dr. Fleischman alluded to it a bit as well as what happened if I miss a, a, a pill, right? And this is one where if you're on a medicine, a oncology medicine uh, um, a strategy or a regime, they usually have uh, printouts that tell you what to do. And the reason why there's no uh, global answer is it depends on those big words: pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics, and and half-life. These are these are uh, scientific measurements of how long drugs in your body, and and you can um, uh, uh, sort of make guesses about what to do. In general, in general, of course, ask your own personal physicians if you missed it and you're a few hours off. Or I tell folks, if you're half, you know, if you're almost at the next dose, obviously next dose, and then recalibrate. But if you're only a few hours off, uh, I, I tell most of my patients just just take it as if you're on the thing. But again. Uh, if you're an oncology drug, talk to your oncologist about it because uh, these are um, these all these medicines have their own little pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics, and half-life. That's an excellent point. Um, and do you want to define what pharmacokinetic, what those words mean, actually, for the audience, because they may not all be with hey, you? I'm sorry to do this to you. Uh, these are uh, basically uh, measuring uh, how the levels of blood, uh, the levels of the medicine in your blood. Uh, uh, synchronized to when you take them, and uh, so that's kinetics. Dynamics means where it goes. Does it does it go into the water part of your body? Does it go into the fat part of your body? Does it go into all parts of your body? And uh, and then the other word is half life. In other words, how much time has to elapse uh, um, before a steady level of medicine in your blood drops by one half? And that usually gives us a hint of how long something will last in. The, the body. The reason why these are big words and they mean something is that, is that it, uh, these are the code words that drug developers talk to each other with. You don't have to explain yourself. You just say, oh, my T1 half is three and a half hours. You don't need to tell them exactly what you did to get there. So it, it's, it's a language that we use. But how it translates to people is dose, schedule, and, uh, and how long to hold the medicine if you wanted to, uh, uh, how long to stop the medicine before it gets out of your body completely. Excellent. Thank you. And there's another question, and this is a really, this is a great question. It comes in a lot in our programs. Dr. Fleischman, I'm going to ask you to start with it. Some of my pills are so large and hard to take, I can't stomach it sometimes. Can I crush my pills or have someone cut it for me? So could you address that question? It comes up a lot, Dr. Fleischman. It's really important, especially in the cancer field. Surely. It depends. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there are drugs that have um, a hard coating on the outside because they're made to swallow whole. Those are usually mm-hmm. not too big, but they're either time-release uh, or there's something about the way that uh, that the drug enters the stomach and gets into the bloodstream that's timed. 
sometimes there are capsules with little teeny little balls inside that are time release. Um, so ask if it's a if it's not a study, then ask your oncology nurse, an oncologist, or even the pharmacist in the cancer center. Sometimes uh, there are full-time pharmacists assigned. Most of the time, full-time pharmacists assigned to oncology that have these answers at the tips of their fingers or know where to find them. Um, if it's okay, um, if you get clearance by your oncologist or the study coordinator or the people who are really in the know. There are um, there are tablet crushers that are these little plastic chambers uh, that you can buy in, in local and all the chain pharmacies or pill cutters. Please don't try to cut a pill with an X-Acto knife between your fingers. I've seen more people need stitches <laughs> in trying to do that than necessary. These things are rather inexpensive. They're three, five dollars, so you can do it well. Also find out if you're going to do that, and it's okay to crush or cut the pill, what you can take it with and what what medicine, what medicine, uh, liquids you should avoid, or sometimes what foods you should avoid. Um, just for a, a basic example, not necessarily an oncology example, but putting tetracycline or, um, or um, thyroid medicine in something that contains milk is often a really bad idea because it all mixes together and little of it is absorbed in, into your system. <laughs> so uh, it's things like that. Uh, ask um, many times it's possible, not all the time. So um, in terms of the, um, should they ask their physician, because because there's so many different pills that people might be talking about here, um, that um, not to do it until they've asked their oncologist, would that make sense? Or their, yeah, um, start with the prescribing doctor or uh, the, the oncology nurse who knows tons of information about these kinds of things, and or the pharmacist in the oncology center that you would contact through uh, your oncologist or oncology nurse. If it's a study drug, speak with the um either the nurse assigned to the research program or the research assistants, and they will find out for you. Excellent. And so um, so that really is important to really um, check with your treating team. That's very important. And remember, you can pick up the phone and call them. <laughs> they are supposed to answer your questions. <laughs> they will. And actually, we have people on the call here. Yes, to, yes. Some places are even more progressive. I've been in a number of uh, cancer centers around the country where a far, an oncology pharmacist meets with every patient on, on a study and sometimes does the consents for patients getting chemotherapy or radiation therapy to make sure that there's a place that all these, these questions can be answered where you're going to get a good answer. It's a very progressive program. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and another question, I'm going to ask um, Ms. Keel to address this one. My medicines are so expensive that sometimes I don't fill them. Is there something I can do to lower the cost that I have to pay, or is there somewhere I can get help with the cost of my medications? So if yeah, you could comment you. on that. Just mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Dr. Messner. So unfortunately, that is something that we hear a lot of time um, 
at cancer care when we're answering our hopeline calls is um, the expense of the medications. Um, so luckily there are some um, financial assistance programs that do help with the cost of copays, help managing the cost of different um, medications. For example, um, Cancer Care does have a copay assistance program that can assist with the cost of copayments. And, um, you know, especially if traveling to get medications is ever an issue, there are organizations that offer um, transportation assistance as well. However, um, I would say to ask if there's a hospital social worker, even your doctor, a patient navigator, to connect you with resources uh, for copay assistance or financial assistance to help with the cost of the medications um, so you do not have to skip any for that reason. Excellent. And so there is really um, assistance out there. And also sometimes, well, actually, if you want to comment, Ms. Kill, about that, just see, um, sometimes people qualify for public programs or mm-hmm. or even pharmaceutical programs that might assist exactly. in addition to just directly of the pharma. So. Yes, exactly. So, so sometimes you can apply through, um, and again, I think what Ms. Kill said, going to a social worker to talk about this um, also, um, or the nurse navigator about this in terms of resources for this. And also, um, in addition, I think uh, sometimes people go directly to the pharmaceutical company itself Mm -hmm. who have their own, in addition to all the the copay foundations that exist throughout the country. So again, the hospital often will help with that because they are often aware of them. But um, Mm -hmm. I think um, there is help out there for you. Um, and do any anyone want to comment on that further, Dr. Wong or Dr. Fleischman? I want to reiterate the fact that, uh, yes, uh, many of the manufacturers uh, um, have uh, foundation programs, and, and so it is a resource, and usually we funnel them through our social worker here because they are the sort of the brain trust of many of these things, and, and there are multiple sort of avenues to this. So... Um, I mean, I think the most important thing is to is to reach out for the help, and there are multiple mechanisms that can that can come and help you um, get over this hurdle. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, and we have another question in front of our online participants who are really terrific today on today's call, asking all these questions. Um, so I live alone and am reliant on myself to ensure all my treatment and medical needs are taken care of. Doctor visits, pharmacy visits, and treatments are very overwhelming. Do you have any advice on reducing the stress of keeping up with all my errands and responsibilities? Um, Ms. Kiel, do you want to address that to start? Of course. Um, well, first to start, um, you know, I know I believe it was Dr. Fleischman mentioned different um, reminders that you can add to your phone, um, you know, calendars, whether they're uh, paper or um, whether you do use your uh, the calendar in your cell phone to help you kind of keep to that schedule and that routine because it is a lot to remember at once. Um, however, you know, it can this can be an incredibly isolating experience. So really, I would say strengthening your support system is so important and knowing that you're not alone. So whether that's um, working with an oncology social worker to just help process some of the the challenges that you're experiencing and also uh, participating maybe in a support group or even some kind of peer mentorship program where you're talking with other patients that are also navigating something similar to hear how they maybe handle um, 
um, just making sure that they're taking their treatments on schedule, um, that they're keeping up with that routine and maybe bouncing some ideas off each other. But again, just overall knowing that you are not alone in this process. Others are navigating uh, similar uh, challenges and really um, relying on those support services to help you um, get through that. And um, again, uh, using things like technology reminders or even, you know, having a calendar on your, um, on your fridge or keeping a medication diary, something like that could also be really helpful. Dr. Messner, can I, can I yes. jump in for oh, a minute? Please, yes, yes. So <clears throat> I'm going to, uh, again, I want to empower uh, the listener and the person that asks a question and also other listeners to, to work with your team. And oftentimes this is something I personally as a treating physician wish I could do better. It's that sometimes it's an issue of the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. I work at a very large cancer center and sometimes people might have multiple appointments which if you look at the schedule, it's just crazy. And what I would ask people to do is as these come in to empower you to make the phone call and say, I'm seeing Dr. Wong at on Tuesday at 2 o'clock. Can I see you in the morning at whatever? And, and, and sort of synchronize things together because we actually don't know uh, what's going through people's lives on the outside. And, and we do not know that you may have, you know, things you need to do. I have a patient that has to bring her child to, 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 to school and the timing doesn't work out. So work with us and we'll try to consolidate mm -hmm. things. When medicines come through there, you know, we also have the ability to send these things electronically to multiple pharmacies. So, may, so what you tell us at one time is what enters into the system. But you may move. You may find a more convenient pharmacy. May, so that's another piece of it. Tell, let us know and so that when we are sending medications, uh, all of us have some sort of system that we are sending to the right place. We don't want to send it to some place across town or one that you're not going to anymore. So... Again, this communication aspect is very helpful, and uh, and again, I'm I, I feel sometimes very embarrassed that we are not doing a better job on the medical side, and so reach out to us to to help us help you. Mm -hmm. Well, that's an excellent point, the healthcare team, and Dr. Fleischman, do you want to add to that as well? Well, as far as um, just having to go through this on your own, um, it is often possible to reach out to a friend, a relative somebody who goes to your church, uh, any social group that you belong to just to make reminder phone calls to you or once a day to call you and ask you to just go through the day about the time you have to take your medicine or what appointments you have to make. Um, I, I've been very impressed over the years about how people rise to the occasion. We don't always ask, and we need to ask our people. Mm -hmm. As far as coordination on the hospital end, um, things are can get extremely mixed up uh, just because of the reasons that Dr. Wong mentions. Um, lots of these centers are parts of uh, larger facilities where lots of, a lot of things are going on. Um, one of the things that has come up that um, both, both of, uh, other speakers alluded to was somebody called a navigator. Navigators are often nurses, but not always. Um, a good social worker can navigate um, just as well as a nurse, depending upon the level of experience. Um, but the navigator can often look at the whole schedule, can help um, make things happen, can help move appointments around. 
uh, give you information, explain why things need to have need to be done. But in most of the cancer centers, these are experienced people who have been working there a long time, who have personal relationships in radiology and pathology and all the other de and all the other departments you visit, and um, can often make these complex things a little more logical and a little more doable. So ask if there's a navigator, um, especially if you're being treated in a complex system. Mm -hmm. Excellent. That's really, really important. That's true. Um, so there's a lot of help out there for people, and I think often, um, you know, sometimes people forget about the fact that there's lots of people out there in with your healthcare team. I think is what we're hearing, mm -hmm. who could really be of tremendous help to you. Um, and even your institution may have some things in place. I know, I mean, some institutions have um, someone who greets you when you come into the institution, and sometimes that person can help organize the day as well. So there's a lot of each institution is different, and so finding the right. Um, combination of people who can really assist you um, and using external resources as well. Sometimes they'll refer you to, the, to those as well. Um, and then um, probably be our last question. Um, so this is an interesting question. Um, it's I'm going to ask Dr. Wong if you could start with this. What should I do if I'm unable to reach my doctor with questions? That's a, <clears throat> that's a good one. Um, Number one, um, most practices um, um, have someone on call, and uh, uh, unless it's a solo practice, which is very rare in this country, most oncology practices are are, are sort of multi-people, multi-person practices. There usually is a mechanism of some way to get to it, and I tell folks. You know, whenever you call any doctor's line, they always say, this is an emergency, you know, hang up and call 911. And, and I always say, well, how does a patient know it's an emergency, right? And I think uh, I always tell my patients, nobody ever died of embarrassment. So if you feel that things are bad and you feel compelled that there's something really wrong, there's, you know, and it's the middle of the night and things are not getting better, um, uh, that's one option, Right. And we can always sort it out in the morning, but if, it, if you're feeling that sick and you're and you're, and you're that bad, that's the, we call it. Mean, that's sort of the rear guard, last resort thing. But there, but it's that's where all the the help is. Um, uh, we also know that uh, in many of the pamphlets that we give patients, there is oftentimes an online web resource for this. So they will go through, say, you know, for further information or so on and so forth. In oncology, many of the major oncology uh, companies, uh, in their informational brochure to patients, will have a patient resource which will to help handle some of the side effects, right? And we know that these are things that are uh, uh, common to to that particular drug, right? For instance, one medicine gave uh, mouth sores. We call it mucositis. And in fact, in their pamphlet, in their information, uh, oftentimes, when patients look at it, it's, oh my God, I don't know what do I do with this? But it's a big, it's a it's a bro it's a brochure or a booklet, multiple pages. In there was an entire section on mucositis, for instance, or you know the sores in your mouth business. So look there as well, right? Um, uh, and of course, like I said before, many many of them have online resources that that speak to the the issue at hand. And lastly, you know, like the phone number, or like the phone message says, if this is an emergency, hang up and 
911 or go to emergency. I think that's the that that if you're really that sick and things are spiraling out of control, um, that's the thing to do. And, and and we can always sort it out in the morning when the morning comes. Excellent. And it, and um, I guess Dr. Fletcher, do you want to just add to that about you know things do seem to happen in the middle of the night or when office hours are over. And so, um, how do you recommend people um, actually begin to? Um, Explore, you know, with their healthcare team of what they do after hours. Who's on call? How do they how do they get their answers? How do they get their questions answered? Well, that's a good question to ask in advance. Um, it may be uh, maybe that's something we're telling everybody in advance rather than waiting for them to ask. Um, but knowing uh, where to turn, there are um, some some of the larger. Um, Cancer Center networks actually have 24-hour staffing at one of their infusion suites where all the calls are um, sent to so that an experienced nurse or physician in oncology who is there off hours will be able to answer this or know how to find out the answer. Um, If this is a concern, ask. We should be doing a better job of making that clear, and I think some places do. Excellent. Can I just add one more thing? Yes. Oh, please. For those yes. individuals, yeah, for those individuals on the clinical trial, in the consent form, by regulation and law, we have a contact number. In fact, in my pre- clinical protocols, my actual office number is on inside the consent form, and there is also the study coordinator nurse and a major line for that as well. And so, you know, that's that's part. If you're on a clinical trial, that's one of the advantages. You have those numbers, and we are obligated by ethics and law to provide them to you. And like I said, Dr. Fleischman, in large medical centers, we, there's always someone on call. And if you call MD Anderson right now today and ask for the person covering my practice, it's me. So it's always somebody at any one time on call. So that's really important for everybody to hear this. You know, sometimes, and, and, and I think asking it ahead of time, so you actually have that information when you start treatment. That's really important because the reality is, is that it's true, things sometimes happen during the day, but they often do happen at these odd hours, and that's when you really need someone. So I want to thank our speakers. This has been a phenomenal call, so I want to thank each of you. You can't hear us applauding, but we are. We really <laughs> think this is wonderful. And I also want to thank all of our participants, actually, um, for a really uh, online participants with really excellent questions that allow the speakers to elaborate further on concerns that you may have. And um, although we could go on all afternoon, um, of course, we did say this was an hour program. So then in keeping with that, um, I actually um, I just want to kind of wrap things up and say that um, we know that many of you, some of you were asked questions and had a chance to get some answers. But I would ask you and invite all of you to go back to your treating healthcare team. Of course, they know you best and know, of course, what your specific needs are. So that's really important. And then um, for any um, additional medical questions, we know that many of you like to actually go to credible sources to get some answers and then help you to ask more informed questions of your healthcare team. But we do recommend, um, so on when you'll be getting an evaluation within a day or two of the program, and that evaluation will include actually a number of 
uh, collaborating organizations that actually um, are a tremendous resource to all of you. And actually because of the uh, um, issue of what happens when there's at night, when there's no one to reach, um, I, I do want to call out to the American Cancer Society. They do have a 24-hour call center, actually, um, in which it's staffed 24 hours a day, uh, 365 days a year. And so that is, it's unique in that respect. Of course, some of your medical centers are as well. You definitely want to go to your healthcare team first. And they can't really give you medical advice, but they air someone to talk to in the middle of the night when something really is troubling you and in different time zones. And they also have a website where you can post questions. Um, and also, um, and for those of you who'd like to pursue getting support from cancer care, you can certainly contact us, call us, visit our website for those internationally as well, and, and to get assistance with that. Um, and uh, most importantly, when we conclude, I wouldn't want any one of you to feel that you're alone. It is true that you will sometimes feel alone in coping with cancer and with all the issues that we discussed today, but also know that there are lots of resources for you, both from your healthcare team and from lots of other resources um, out there, um, which we will give you. Uh, again, we will send you all the different resources that are out there for you. Um, we also have a number of programs coming up so that um, – you'll be getting information about that as well. Um, so I really want to thank you for your particip participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for, for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.